We're studying Isaiah 53. And we're studying by His stripes. We are healed. Praise God. How many believe that? By His stripes. We are healed. Praise God. Now let's begin reading here in Isaiah the 53rd chapter. And we'll begin reading in this first verse. Isaiah 53, 1. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now what did we discover, friends, about this verse? To whom is the arm of the Lord or the power of God revealed? Those that believe the report. Those that believe the report. Those are the ones that have the arm of God or the power of God revealed to them. Verse 2, for he shall grow up, and we know this is talking about Jesus from other New Testament scriptures that say so. He, Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now we said that word sorrows there and the word grief is found also in verse 4. It's also found in verse 10. But that this word in the Hebrew, uh, actually in the same King James Bible here, is translated in several other places, pains instead of sorrows, and sicknesses or disease or diseases instead of grief. So you could read it like this, he's a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. If you skip down to verse 4, it says, Surely He has borne our griefs. Again, that's the word for sickness. And He's carried our pains. If you skip down to verse 10, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He has put Him to grief. That's the same word for sickness. He's put Him to sickness. Let me read some other very reputable uh, translations of this passage to you. The Young's Literal Translation, the Lesser, the Good Speed, the JPS, uh, New American, New English, Rotherhams. I'm going to read these to you. You understand these are highly respected translations. Listen to how they word this passage. Young says, He's despised and left of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Verse 4 said, Surely our sicknesses he has borne, and our pains he has carried them, and we esteemed him plagued, smitten of God, and afflicted. Another one says, But only our diseases did he bear himself, and our pains he carried. Another one says, Yet it was our pains that he bore. Another one says, Surely our diseases he did bear, and our pains he carried. Uh, the tenth verse of a couple of these says it like this, that Jehovah has delighted to bruise him, he has made him sick. Another one says, it pleased the Lord to crush him by disease. And Rotherham says, he has laid on him sickness. Now, how many understand that this is very clear? And you could word it like this, and like we said, this is one of the greatest statements concerning healing in the Word of God, that surely... He has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. In fact, I want us to say that again at least three or four or five times out loud. 
How many understand that the more you confess something, the more aware of it you become? The more real it becomes to you? Faith comes by hearing. And when you're saying, you're hearing. Say it out with me. Out loud with me. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Close your eyes and say it. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. One more time. Surely He has borne my sicknesses and carried my pains. Hallelujah. Well now what did we see from that great truth? What does it mean that He has carried our sicknesses, borne our sicknesses and carried our pains? What does that mean? Exactly. We do not have to bear what He bore. We do not have to carry what He carried. If He carried it, and then we carry it again, then what's the point of Him carrying it? If He bore it, and then we bear it again anyway, then what's the point of Him bearing it? No, thank God. He took our infirmities. He bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains. What does that mean? It means I don't have to carry it. You know, you hear that terminology, so-and-so is a carrier of such disease, a carrier of this virus, a carrier of this. We ought not be carriers of such because Jesus carried it. And if He carried it, we ought to disdain touching it. Is that right? We ought to refuse. Now you might say, yeah, but Brother Keith, I've got disease in my body. I've got sickness working in me. It's there. Yes, but you don't have to receive it with your heart. Even though it might be right there staring in the face, you can say, I refuse to carry this. I see this. I feel this. But I resist it. And as long as I draw a breath, I'll resist it. You understand what I mean? You've got to have that kind of attitude about it. That I refuse to just accept this and carry this because Jesus carried it for me. Can you say amen? amen? We saw that Jesus was smitten of God and afflicted. And we read down here, and you can continue, in verse uh, 7. It says, He was oppressed and He was afflicted, yet He opened not His mouth. He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so He openeth not His mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, or as the margin says, was the stroke upon him. We had said to you previously that Isaiah is seeing into the realm of the Spirit. Many hundreds of years in the future. Not, not seeing in the natural now, seeing in the Spirit. And he's seeing in the Spirit how that Jesus took our place and became our substitute. 
and bore the penalty and judgment for all of the sin of mankind. And he's seeing how that he was smitten. And we said that those that stood round about that saw Jesus being scourged, they could see what was happening outwardly, but they couldn't see what was happening in the Spirit. And those that saw him nailed to the cross, they could see that outwardly, but they couldn't see what was happening in the Spirit. And the things that happened outwardly were just typical of what was happening in the Spirit. It wasn't just the physical act that redeemed us. It was part of it. Jesus didn't just go to the cross in body. He offered Himself completely for us. Man needed a threefold redemption because man is spirit. Man has a soul, mind, and emotions. Man lives in a body and sin had affected every part of man's being. Destruction and death worked against the spirit. Man was separated from life. Destruction and spiritual death worked against man's mind. He had torment and anguish and fear. Spiritual death worked in man's body. Sickness and death and infirmity. Jesus went to the cross, spirit, soul, and body. He offered His spirit for our spirit. He offered His soul for our soul. He offered His body for our body. And therefore, He has procured for us a complete redemption. We're redeemed in spirit. We're redeemed in soul. We're redeemed in body. We're redeemed. Bought back from the penalty of sin and from the punishment of death. And we saw that as they tied him to the whipping post and as they scourged him, laid those stripes, or as the margin says, bruises upon him, that you could see, if you were, if you'd have been there, you could have seen the soldier striking him, striking him, striking him. But what you couldn't see is in the spirit, the judgment of God was striking him. With he, the Bible said he was esteemed, stricken, smitten of God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Who did that? That was the judgment of God. Why, how in the world could it please God, please the Lord, to bruise the Master? Well, he could see him rising triumphantly from the dead. He could see what it would do for us. He could see how it would allow us to return to him and how we could be healed and how we could rule and reign with him in the kingdom forever. And that's kept Jesus steady. That's what allowed Him to endure such torment. The Bible said in Hebrews 12 that He endured it. He suffered it. He put up with it. Why? For the joy that was set before Him. He could see your face and my face. He, he could see our redemption. And the Bible said as they did this to Him, and as this punishment fell on Him, spiritually, mentally, solically, physically, that He opened not His mouth. And what did we find out? Why didn't he open his mouth? So we could open ours, glory to God. Hallelujah. Jesus could have called to the throne of heaven. He could have said, I'm innocent. I don't deserve any of this punishment. I, I, I refuse to take this. He could have called out for justice and legions of angels would have been there to deliver him. Because he was innocent. He deserved none of this for anything that he had done. But if he had opened his mouth... You and I wouldn't have redemption. But He took it silently. He took it. How many of that had to be hard? That had to be tough. Have you ever had somebody talk bad to you and you took it? 
Have you ever had somebody slap you and you took it? <laughs> I'm not asking for testimonies of failures now. Just, I just want you to think. But have you ever had anybody tie you to a post and beat you? Or nail you to a tree and take it? And what's much more terrible, have you ever had the judgment of God fall on you for something you didn't do? We don't, we don't even know what that's like. We, we don't know the fullness of that. must have been terrible and horrible beyond our understanding. But Jesus took it like a lamb led to the slaughter. Didn't open his mouth, didn't say a word. Just took it, took it, took it, took it, took it, took it. And then we see a beautiful type uh, of our redemption reality when they went to scourge Paul over there in Acts 22. They tied him to the post much like they did Jesus. They're about to beat him, you know. He looked around. He said, hey, is it lawful for you to, to, to beat a scourge a man like this, as a Roman citizen, uncondemned? Was Paul silent? No, Paul spoke up. Is that right? He knew that he had rights as a Roman citizen. And he spoke up. And we realized that it caused him to be delivered. He was not scourged because he spoke up. How many know that you're a citizen of heaven? That you got rights as a citizen of heaven. But if you don't know what they are, and if you don't speak up for them, the devil will beat you. He'll tie you to the whipping post. He'll beat you with sickness. He'll beat you with poverty. He'll beat you with defeat. He'll keep you in sin and condemnation. He'll keep you defeated. And He'll beat you till He destroys you if you just take it silently. But the next time the enemy tries to strap something on you and tries to attach something to you, you need to do like Paul and say, Hey! Hey! Wait a minute! Is it lawful? Do you have a legal right to do this to an innocent, righteous child of God? I, and you need to challenge the enemy's right. Say, I challenge your right to do this in my life. I rebuke you. You have no right to do this in my life. Why? No government, no judge in any decent government of the land, of any nation of any land, is going to require punishment twice for the same crime. Is that right? I mean, if somebody is... Did, did the time, somebody paid the price, somebody took the penalty, well, it's, justice is satisfied. They're not made to pay it again for the same crime. And friend, when the enemy comes and tells you, hey, you've sinned, you've messed up, you've got to pay the price. You just smile and say, I plead innocent. Innocent. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. The price is paid. Yes, I've missed it. I've made a mistake. But I've confessed it. And I'm cleansed. And so you have no legal right to me twice for the same crime. Because I've already been punished for that crime. What what do you mean you've already been? Yeah, in Christ. Because I died with Him. I was crucified with Christ. I died and was buried with Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can't kill a man twice. Is that right? Can't send a man to the gas chamber twice. Can't send a man to the cross twice. 
So that's what the enemy is trying to do with us. He knows the price has been paid, but he knows if you're ignorant of it and you'll just stay silent, he can continue to do things in your life. But if you know that you're a citizen of heaven and you have rights, you'll rise up and you'll challenge him. And you'll call his hand. And you'll resist him. And you'll say, no, no, you have no right to do that in my life. By his stripes, he took the beating. I am healed. I don't have to take the beating. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, we talked about that in some length yesterday. We talked about the high court of heaven. And we talked about how that if you have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if how, how if you'll work with him, he'll win your case every time. And how that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony. And how the devil is listening to you. And the devil is watching you and the devil is the accuser of the brethren that accused them before their God night and day and he's always trying to build a case against you. Trying to get you to say things and believe things and do things so that he can concoct and get a case against you that will hold up in the high court of heaven. And if you take the stand and you plead guilty, then there's nothing the righteous judge can do but pronounce you guilty and pass sentence which allows the destroyer access. That's serious business. I mean, who wants to be in the hands of the enemy? Nobody. But if you don't want to be judged, what the Bible tell us to do? Judge yourself. Is that right? Judge yourself. And you won't be judged. Now, I want to go into some more detail about that uh, today. About judging yourself. Because that phrase sometimes has a limited meaning to many people, but it's a broad statement. Judging, judging yourself has to do with several different areas. Judging yourself. Go with me again to 1 Corinthians 11. Let's look at this passage that we've referred to. 1 Corinthians 11. Now we've kind of caught those of you up with us that weren't with us. Now again, you understand I just gave you a real short version of it. But how many believe by His stripes you are healed? So whether you fully understand it or not, just accept it in childlike faith. Confess it over yourself. In 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, how many believe in God with me today? You know, utterance is greatly affected by the hearers. It really is. So be very open. Very... Uh, Expectant. 1 Corinthians 11, you know this is the passage that deals with what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And verse 29 says this, 1 Corinthians 11, 29. It says, For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, or in an unworthy manner, eateth and drinketh damnation, or that the margin says judgment, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned or judged with the world. Notice the connection here between condemnation, judgment, judging yourself, being judged. Now, I don't know if you realize it, but we have a greater enemy than the devil. (laughs) Did you know that? 
The devil is not your biggest problem. Now, he's definitely your enemy. And he's definitely your adversary. And he's definitely against you like we've already... I mean, just seeing what we talked about yesterday would make you despise the devil. I know that he's always trying to gather evidence against you to build a case against you to get you judged. That's enough to make you not like somebody, right? Huh? Think about it. What if if somebody followed you around, had your phone tapped? You understand what I'm saying? Put listening devices in your house. You understand what I'm saying? And followed you around in the car. Every time you went to step out of the house or step out, there's somebody watching you. They got the videotape rolling. What are they wanting to find? They're wanting to get enough evidence to put you under the jail. If they can, send you to the gas chamber. And they're always looking for anything they can find to, to, to put in the, in the, build the case against you. Now that's the devil. I said, that's the devil. Do you like him? He's not your buddy, is he? (laughs) He's your enemy. But he's not the worst enemy you've got. You know who the worst enemy that you've got is? The biggest challenge, the biggest problem that you've got? It's sin which has to do with your own flesh. Because there's not much the devil can do with you if you walk in obedience, and if you walk in faith, and if you walk in love, and if you go according to God's plan for your life. But, if you walk in sin, and you walk in condemnation, and you walk in rebellion, and you walk in disobedience, then that's going to give the enemy the opening. It's going to give him the material to build the case. That's the biggest enemy. The person you got to watch the most is the one you see in the mirror. The one you got to keep the biggest, tightest grip on is the one that you dress every day. Are you with me? You know, so many times people, you know, the devil this, the devil that, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil, and they never talk about me. And that's why extreme deliverance is so popular. Deliverance is a Bible word. But there are people that are in extremes. And there's people that cast everything out of everybody. And man, their whole service just consists of lining everybody up and casting everything out of them. And laying hands on them and putting everything into them. And uh, I think a lot of it's like what Brother Hagin says. People laying empty hands on empty heads. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot of rigmarole, a lot of noise and a lot of activity. But when it's all said and done... Not much happened. Mind if I meddle a little bit over here? Get into a few things right here. You see, it's no, it's no wonder that people like this. 
Because people like what I call no-fault religion. And no-responsibility religion. And when you tell people, hey, don't worry about it. Come up here and I'll cast it all out of you. And you'll never have any problem with it again. People think, hey, this, this is great. Because the pastor told me I'm going to have to put my body, put my flesh under. And control my mind. I'm going to have to do this and do that and stop this and straighten up. But hey, all I got, brother so-and-so is going to cast it all out of me. It's going to be over. But no. You know, I've, I've ministered to several people that had serious problems with the enemy. Oppression, depression, obsession, serious problems. I mean people that saw things and heard things and went into fits and crawled on the floor and you name it. And I tell you what, I've seen this. And of course, thank God we have authority in the name of Jesus and we can help people. But I tell you what, unless a person is going to take responsibility and control their mind and what they think on and control their body and what they do. You and your brother and everybody can pray over them and shout over them and do what you want to, but they, will, they may get temporary help, but they will never have real, permanent, final deliverance and freedom until they do something with their minds and they do something with their bodies. And one of the biggest lies that the devil sells people is that I can't. I can't, I can't help it. I just can't control my mind. I can't help it. I just do these things with my body. That's a lie. If the devil can get you to believe that lie, you're in trouble. Your mind is your mind. You can think on what you want to think on. In fact, you are thinking on what you decide to think on. Your body is your body. You do what you want to with it. You do what you decide to do with it. So what's the biggest enemy? The biggest problem? Is you dealing with you. Is that right? You keeping yourself out of sin. You controlling your mind. You controlling your flesh. And let me tell you this, friend. The more you yield to the flesh, the more trouble you have with it. The less you yield to it, the less trouble you have with it. It's kind of like an unruly child. The more they get away with, the more they try to get away with. The less they're allowed to get away with, then you just have less trouble with them usually. You have to keep a real firm hand on your flesh. How many remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9? He said, I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. One translation says, I beat it black and blue. <clears throat> That's pretty rough, isn't it? And how many know you got to get rough with your flesh? You got you got to be a lot rougher with you than you are with other people. You got to get rough with you. You got to get yourself by the ear and say, "No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not doing that." You got to get rough with you. You're going to do this, and you're going to do it now. And your flesh will say, "Yeah, but I didn't want this. I didn't ask you what you want to do. Do it." Get a hold of your mind and say, you are not thinking on that. you got no business thinking on that kind of stuff. Quit it. Put your mind on the Lord. Put your mind on the Word. Your unrenewed mind will think, this is intriguing though. I'm curious. Give it a couple of good slaps and say, I'll tell you what you can think on. You think on this. you got to get rough with you. 
You'll see so many times people are also ready to get rough with somebody else. Oh, but they're lenient on themselves. They let, they let their mind go, let their body go. Now, the reason I'm saying this and talking about this is because one of the greatest enemies to your faith and one of the greatest enemies to your healing and deliverance is condemnation or sin consciousness. Condemnation's a terrible thing. It's a horrible thing. Another way of saying condemnation is saying, saying like this, a sense of guilt. You feel guilty. We use that terminology. You feel guilty. You feel embarrassed. You feel ashamed. You feel inferior. And if you are like that, your faith won't work. And if your faith won't work, you're not going to have victory. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Turn with me to a couple of scriptures here. Go to 1 John, the third chapter, and also Psalm 40. A couple of verses here. 1 John 3, and then also the 40th Psalm. How many understand what I was saying to you now? That you've got to take responsibility for you. I know a, a, a guy I know that's good guy, blessing. He, uh, he had had a terrible problem with being overweight all of his life. His parents had real problems along that line. He just grew up overweight as a child. Just continued on through uh, adolescence. And then as a man here, he's grossly overweight. And, of course, that affects him in a lot of ways. He doesn't feel comfortable trying to approach or date any of the young ladies. And he doesn't feel, doesn't feel good about trying to minister. He's self-conscious and feels like people are looking at him. And, you understand? See, sometimes people try to downplay these areas. And say, well, that's, that's natural, you see. That's not very important. It's very important. And one reason why people downplay it is because they don't have faith to overcome in those areas. And they don't have vision. And they don't, and sometimes ignorant, don't understand how to do some things. But uh, one thing that he had kind of settled back on and wasn't really trying to make progress, he decided he's got a spirit of gluttony. And he just can't help it. And so, man, he just cleans out the refrigerator, cleans out the cabinets and pantry. And, you know, this thing is just bigger than he is. and He just can't help it. And he's coming to school. And he said, uh, he got in, 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 in my class. <laughs> and I began to talk to him about some things. And I said to him, I, I didn't say to him, I just said to the whole class. I said, you know, people talk about, well, I got a spirit of this, a spirit of that. And the main thing is they just need to put their flesh under. They need to take responsibility for their life and their habits. And, and then he got right out of there and went, in, went into Brother Hagin's class. And Brother Hagin just out of the blue said, some people in here are saying they got a spirit of gluttony. And they don't have anything except an undisciplined flesh. And so, bam, bam, he said the Lord told him that day. He wasn't dumb. He got a hold of it. To quit talking about this spirit of gluttony stuff. And get a hold of my flesh. 
But see, it's just easier to blame everything on the devil now, isn't it? And I'll be honest with you, charismatics, word and faith people, they're my bunch. I love them. I, cl- I, I, I claim them. But some of them are some of the flakiest, goofiest people. Dear Lord, it's no wonder, no wonder some of our mainline denominational brothers think we're so weird and crazy because some of us are. What people say and what people do in the name of being spiritual is just ignorant. You know, I, I believe that I have relations with some of the most spiritual people I know of and heard of. I've had opportunity to work closely with what I consider to be some very spiritual individuals. And yet, you know, these people are some of the most real genuine people that you'll ever want to be around. And they're not always rolling their eyes back in their head and yelling in tongues and (laughs) screaming crazy things and doing crazy things at the most inopportune time. They're not falling into a trance three times a day. They're not hearing audible voices three times a week. Did you hear me? Now these things happen. These special things happen, but they don't happen for everybody. In fact, you could live your whole life, never see an angel, never hear an audible voice, never have an open vision, and it wouldn't mean you're unspiritual, wouldn't mean anything's wrong with you. Just meant God didn't see fit to give you that kind of a special thing. And even in the lives of those that these kind of things have happened, they don't happen every day, they don't happen every week. And so you got somebody that's seeing angels every other day and hearing voices a couple of times a week. You just stay away from them, all right? I'll give you some advice. Now, is this not right? These things do happen. But they don't happen all the time and they don't happen for everybody. I'm telling you, we need to grow up. Guys, we, we do. There's a lot of people, bless their heart, what they think is spiritual is so carnal. Now, they that worship God must worship Him how? In spirit and in truth. The Spirit of God's called the Spirit of truth. I want you to know there's not the least bit of falseness or pretension or hypocrisy in Him. He is as real as real gets. And the more spiritual you are, the more real, the more genuine you are. You don't try to put on anything. You don't try to fake or pretend. You don't try to impress. Did you hear me now? You either got it or you don't. You either know it or you don't. You've either done it or you haven't. You can't either do it or you can't. Be real. Be genuine. Be honest. Sincere and open. And God can use you if you'll be like that. Isn't that right? I mean, Paul prayed like that over in uh, Philippians. It's recorded, you know. That our love might abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. We might be sincere and without offense. Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. Thank God. Have you found 1 John 
3 yet. And also Psalm 40. Or are you ready to anyway? Notice what it says in 1 John here. The 3rd chapter. And the 20, 20th verse. 1 John 3.20 For if our heart condemn us, God's greater than our heart and knows all things. And this is just what we've been talking about. If you're, uh, this is another way of saying this. Your conscience is the voice of your heart or your spirit. You could say it like this. If your conscience is bothering you about something, God already knows it. So it's not wise to run from Him or to try to pretend like it's not there. What's, what's smart? Run to Him. Deal with it quickly. Right? Because he went on to say, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God, and whatsoever we ask we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. How many like that uh, <clears throat> 22nd verse there? That whatever you ask, you receive from Him. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Whatever you ask... Whatever you ask, you receive from me. But, but how is that going to work? He went on to say, yeah, if you keep His commandments, and He tells you in verse 23 what His commandments are. First of all, this is His commandment that we should believe. How many know faith is a commandment? And also that we should love. How many know love is a commandment? Now that sounds real simple. You know, this sums up all of the statutes and ordinances in the Old Testament. Walk in faith, walk in love. If you do that, you don't have to be overly concerned about keeping the Ten Commandments or this ordinance or that ordinance. If you walk in faith and you walk in love, then you're fulfilling the requirements. But how many know that it doesn't take long to say that, but that that's a full-time job? Walking in faith and walking in love is a full-time occupation. Every day. You will have opportunities and you will be tempted to doubt, to be pessimistic, to be negative, to get depressed. Is that right? Did you understand that there's no such thing as being in faith about something and being depressed about that thing? No such thing. If you're depressed over it, you're not in faith about it. Have you ever been tempted to get depressed? Oh, yeah. But what do you got to do? You got to resist that temptation. And instead of yielding to doubt and unbelief and negativism and pessimism, you have to resist that and say, no, I'm going to believe God. It's going to work out. He's heard my prayer. Be positive. Expect it to turn out good. Now, you got to do that every day if you want to have victory. How many know also that you will have opportunities and you'll be tempted to not walk in love. You'll be tempted to be rude. Tempted to be selfish. Tempted to be mean and ugly. Hmm? Some of you looking at me so funny. Let me tell you, looking at me kind of sanctimoniously like, what are you talking about, Brother Keith? <laughs> Listen, brother and sister, you not only know what I'm talking about, you have yielded to some temptations. You have been rude and selfish, ugly and mean. 
And, and it's amazing to me that people don't know God enough and don't know the Bible well enough to know that you can't treat people like dirt and walk in health. If you, if you want to walk in healing and health, you've got to treat people right. Because I'm in a member that the Bible says faith works by love. It's kind of like this. Cars work by fuel. Got no fuel? Car don't work. Is that right? And faith works by love. And you can try to make confessions, but if you're treating people bad, and you're being mean and rude and ugly to people, your faith won't work. Because faith works by love. You've got to treat people right. I said you've got to treat people right. Treat them in love. And I tell you, this is one of the biggest causes of physical problems and failures that I have discovered. And that is people not walking in love. And yet people will dress up nice and they'll come and they'll sit on the church uh, bench and they'll sing the songs and they'll pray in tongues. But man, they'll go home and they'll cuss their wife and their kids and kick their dog and their cat. And mean it. <laughs> Did you hear me? And they'll call you up to counsel with them or pray with them. And they'll quote all the scriptures. And they'll use all the right phrases. But then they'll slap this one. And they'll tell this one off. And You see? And that's why a lot of times people don't know. Because they see these people in the church setting. And they figure out, hey, this is Joe Faith Man. But they don't know what happens behind closed doors. And so they're scratching their heads wondering why things are not working out for this fellow or this woman. How many of you got to live right? Now this is not as popular of a message among charismatics. <laughs> but you know... I really do. The Lord's dealt with me the last couple of years about this, and I'm doing more over. I'm teaching more on it now than I have been. That charismatics and word and faith people have kind of gotten the impression that all there is to victory is making confessions and having somebody lay hands on you. And hey, that's it. A lot of times people will try to take a truth and try to make it the truth for everything. And no, the Bible deals with all areas of life. And you can't just grab this and ignore the rest of it. You've got to live right. If you want the fullness of God's blessings in your life, you've got to live right. In fact, the Lord said this to me some time back, that if you want the perfect will of God in your life, you've got to do the perfect will of God for your life. Isaiah 1, uh, 19, you know, if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. What if you're rebellious and hard-headed? Well, see, people don't talk about that side of it. Well, what, what, what's going to happen if I'm rebellious and hard-headed? You're going to eat sour grapes. That, the, the Scriptures in the Bible... See, it's not just verse 19, but read verse 18. And read verse 20, because it says it right there in that passage. It doesn't say sour grapes, but it says, uh, you know, judgment. The sword, punishment. Now, go with me to Psalm 40, and I want you to notice something. How many like the blessings of God? 
Do you? How many want all of God's blessings that He has for you materialized in your life? Do you? Okay. How many want to fully obey God? How many want to walk in love all the time? Even at home? How many want to obey God even when it's something you don't want to do? See, it goes hand in hand. If you want God's perfect will for your life, you've got to do His perfect will for your life. Absolutely. I, and I, I, I'm not going to go into too much detail about this, but you know, if you just consistently rebel against God and are hard-headed and stubborn, and there are a lot of hard-headed, stubborn people around. Mucho. Many. Lots. I mean, you just run across them all the time. Just hard-headed, man. I mean, other people would have learned a long time ago. And they just bite their lip and do it again. And then quote your scripture when it's all right. <laughs> Ignorant. What does the Bible say about such an individual that hardens their heart and stiffens their neck? What's going to happen to them? They'll be destroyed without remedy, Proverbs says. And see, so the thing is, what I'm saying is, if you're hard-headed enough and you just persist in going your own way and doing what you know is wrong, not walking in life, you can actually forfeit some of your rights and forfeit some of the blessings that you should have had. It cost you, is what I'm saying. It cost you. So don't be hard-headed. Don't be stubborn. Be pliable, teachable. Quick to repent. Quick to change. You understand? Some people absolutely would choke and die before they'd say, I'm wrong. It was my fault. I'm sorry. No excuse. I mean, I'm telling you, there are people that would choke and die before they say that. And call it what you will. It'll cost you. Being that kind of person will cost you. It, it can cost, and sometimes in the beginning, it doesn't cost you that much, but if you persist in it, it can cost you seriously. It can cost you, it can cost irreparable damage, things that can't be changed if you go in it long enough. Friend, be as moldable as you know how. Be as teachable as you know how. Be able to be strong enough. Be a man enough. Be a woman enough to say, I'm wrong. It was my fault. I did it. There's no excuse. I take full responsibility. I'm sorry. Be able to say, I'm, I'm wrong. You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. Hmm? Look in Psalm 40. Psalm 40. Notice this. This is an interesting word here, and it's, it, it goes right in line with what we're talking about. Psalm 40, verse 
8, we'll begin reading. Psalm 40, verse 8. This is a good confession too. He said, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I delight in it. Now you know, a lot of times you have to say that by faith. Because sometimes your flesh don't delight in it. Your head doesn't delight in it. But you know, I got a revelation some years ago. I was sitting in my car. at a light. It was about to change. Got a revelation right there at the red light. Did, sure did. Sitting in the car. This is the revelation I got. Just dawned on me like a flash of light. This was it. God is smarter than me. That's right. It came as, it came as a, a revelation. Now, I, I don't mean that if you'd asked me the day before, Brother Keith, is God smarter than you? I'd have said, oh yeah, sure He is. But, but I got a, a, a fresh revelation of it. Now let me explain. God's smarter than me. He's smarter than you too. And God knows best for you. And if He says, Keith... This is what you should do. Then no matter what I think about it, he knows better. He's smarter than me. He knows that, hey, I'm designed for that. It's designed for me. I'm going to be the happiest and most fulfilled doing that. And you can take, you can get a hold of this truth and say, I delight to do thy will, O God. I delight. And I, you can change. You can say something for years. So well, now I tell you, I, no, that's not me. Now doing that, no, no, that, I wouldn't want to do that. That's just not me. I don't have any desire to do that or go there or be this. And the Lord can prompt you and say, "I want you to do that," and you can just say, "Right, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's the thing for me." You can change just like that. You can say, just by faith, you can say, "I delight to do Thy will, O God." You can look at something else and think, well, man, now this is what I want to do. This, this is it. That's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. That's what I want. Yes, yes, yes. And the Lord can say, I don't like that and I don't want that for you. And you can immediately go, right. We don't want that. No, sir. Me and the Lord, we don't want that. You can, you can change if you will. If you believe God's smarter than you, then what He has planned for you is so much better than anything you could ever concoct for yourself. I mean, I've obeyed the Lord and done some things just in the past several years that initially I thought to myself, now you're not going to like this, Keithy boy. This is not going to be any fun, buddy. But when I obeyed God and did it, it was great. I'd have never thought that I would have enjoyed it. That I, But see, God is smarter than me. And He's smarter than you. And if He says, do it, don't listen to your head. Don't listen to anybody else. He knows. He knows. God had a plan for you before you were ever born. Good works predestined for you to do. It's not a matter of you deciding what you want to do. It's a matter of you discovering 
what He's already planned for you. Can you say amen? amen. I know some people, that comes as a, as a revelation to some people, because some people are thinking, well, you know, I hadn't quite decided what I want to do with my life. Well, first thing you need to do is quit, quit talking like that. You're off. <laughs> it's not a matter of what you, I mean, who's going to run your life? You or the Lord? So you've got to decide that first. And then if you decide that He's going to be the one directing you, then it's not a matter of you deciding what you want to be or do. It's already been decided for you. Before you're ever born. You just need to seek God and discover it. And find out. And of course He won't show you the whole thing. He'll just show you the first steps to take. And then as you take that, more light will come. God's talking to some people, I'm telling you. Let's keep reading. Everybody read that eighth verse out loud with me. Let's confess it together. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. See, confess it. No matter what you feel like, just say, Lord, I delight to do your will. I'll keep reading here. It says, I've preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I've not refrained my lips. O Lord, you know. I've not hid thy righteousness within, I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I've not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me so that I am not able to look up. They're more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart faileth me. Did you know your heart can fail you? I'm not talking about your physical heart stopping and letting you down. I'm talking about the inner part of your being. The part of you that believes God. How many understand that it's your heart, it's with your heart that you believe God? Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believes. You don't believe with your intellect. You think and reason with your intellect. You, You don't believe with your body. You feel with your body. What part of your being do you believe with? Your heart. But your heart can fail you. And if your heart fails you, you're not going to have victory now, are you? And did you notice why his heart failed him? Verse 12, My iniquities have taken hold on me. I'm not able to look up. They're more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. I'm not able to look up. He's conscious of all his sins and all of his mistakes. And he says, I'm not able to... Well, if you're not looking up, you must be looking down. Right? What does this portray? Condemnation. Is that right? He's conscious of his sins and all of his mistakes. And his head is down. And he says, my heart fails me. Do you understand that when you're condemned, your heart will fail you? You won't have confidence. You won't have boldness. You won't have faith. Man, I've seen it so clearly in my own life that I cannot afford the least bit of condemnation, the least bit of a sense of guilt. I can't afford it because it will take the edge right off my ministry. It will take the boldness and confidence right out of my life. And if you don't pray boldly, you're not praying in faith. If you don't minister boldly, you're not ministering in faith. If you don't resist the enemy boldly, you're not doing it in faith, and it's just so much works and noise. 
Are you with me? It takes faith to get results in prayer. It takes faith to get results in ministry. It takes faith to get victory in life. But condemnation will absolutely destroy your faith. If you have a sense of guilt about you, your faith won't work. Oh, you may be making confessions, but you're not doing it in faith. You may be praying half the night, but it's not going to be effective because you're not doing it in faith. Do you understand, my friend, that, that it's not enough just to do something in this new covenant? We've got to do things in faith, or otherwise it's not acceptable to the Lord. Without faith, you can't please Him with anything. You can pray all night long. But if you don't pray in faith, it's unacceptable to Him. You can write a large check and put it in an offering plate, but unless you give it in faith, God's not impressed with large figures. You can work and sweat and toil and run your legs off and work yourself silly, but unless you're doing what you're doing in faith, it's not being done in the Spirit if it's not being done in faith, and it's just so much stuff in the flesh, and it's so much wood, hay, and stubble in the Lord's eyes. I mean, God intends that the just shall what? Live by faith. They shall walk by faith. I mean, you're supposed to open your eyes in faith in the morning before you get out of bed. Open them by faith. You're supposed to take every step by faith. Everything, every prayer you pray, every offering you give, everything you do must be done in faith if it's going to be acceptable to the Lord. If it's going to be effective. But did you remember what I said to you? What will condemnation do to your faith? It'll destroy it. It will absolutely jerk the rug out from under your faith. Did you see what he said? If our heart condemns us not... Then have we confidence toward God. Well, what if your heart is condemning you? You won't have confidence toward God, which is another way of saying you won't have faith. Lose your boldness. I mean, uh, I don't know at the times in working with people to try to help them that they would go to try to receive from God or try to resist the enemy and they just didn't have the confidence. And what a lot of times people don't want to deal with is, is the reason why they don't have the confidence. You know, so many times people try to separate areas of their life. And they, they, they've got areas over here where they, they're not obeying God and they're not doing right and this and that. But then they try to receive over in this area and they think this area has got nothing to do with this area. But one reason why people have not been able to get victory in certain areas that they've just been defeated over and over and over is because these other areas that they won't take care of and their heart's condemning them about that while they're trying to deal with this. And they don't have confidence. I said, they don't have confidence. I said, friend, you cannot afford the least bit of condemnation. Now, real quickly here, let me tell you some reasons why your heart will condemn you. And then we're going to tell you quickly what to do about it. Because it's not God's will that you remain in condemnation one hour longer and he's made provision so that you could be free from, com from condemnation. Don't you believe it? Real quickly, let me tell you what will cause condemnation in you. Very simply, sin will cause condemnation. But what is sin? The Bible says, 1 John 3, 4, and I'm just going to go through some of these things quickly, so just listen. 1 John 3, 4, it says that Sin is transgression of the law. 
the Word of God tells you don't lie and you lie, that's a sin. The Word of God says don't steal and you steal, that's a sin. I don't care if you have been born again, if you have received the Holy Ghost, if you sin, excuse me, if you steal, you've sinned, and so what's going to happen? You're going to have condemnation. Is that right? Your heart's going to smite you, about. you're going to feel bad on the inside, you're going to feel guilty, because you've missed it. Also, the Bible says in James 4.17, James 4.17, whoever knows what is right to do and does it not, fails to do it, one translation says, to him it's sin. How many know that uh, sin can be something you don't do? You, you know to do something, you know it, but you don't do it. Well, that's sin. And if you don't do what you know you should do, you, you've missed it, your heart's going to condemn you. And also, Romans 14 tells us this, Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23, you remember, it says, whatever is not of faith is sin. You know, you could just sum it up and say this, one of the biggest keys to walking in victory and not sinning is simply following and obeying the leading of the Spirit inside you day in and day out. How many know if you get tempted to steal and you start to steal that the Holy Ghost is going to check you on the inside about this? Is that right? I guarantee you. I mean, if you're born again and you've got any kind of relationship with the Lord and you start to steal, on the inside of you, the Holy Ghost is going to let you know, no, that's wrong. You start to tell a lie, the Holy Ghost inside of you is going to let you know, no, that's wrong. And if you would just follow the Holy Ghost... You wouldn't miss it, right? You'd always, you'd always do the right thing. And if the Spirit of God prompts you to do a certain thing, if you'd just always do what He led you to do, you would never commit any sins of omission. The bottom line in obeying God is always following that leading of the Spirit within you. That's the bottom line. Now, another area that let me, let me give you two areas real quickly. I don't want to keep you too long, but if you can, this, stay with me. This might help you. One area is making and reneging on commitments. Now, boy, that'll, that'll leave you in a heap of condemnation. People say, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that by such and such time or whatever. And the time comes and goes and they don't do it. Whether people say it or not, condemnation's chewing on them. They got a sense of guilt and inferiority. So you got two options there now, don't you? Either don't make those commitments, or either do them. Right? People are too rash with their mouth. Oh, they get inspired and stirred up. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to have this by such and such time, and I'm going. I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm going to do this. Be careful about what you say out of your mouth. And by what kind of commitment you make. And when you do make a commitment, it should be something that you have meditated upon and thought upon for some time. You've looked at all the angles of it. And then when you say it, you've given your word, you will do it. If you keep making commitments and breaking them, keep saying, I'm going to do this and not doing it, condemnation is building up on the inside of you. That sense of guilt. Don't do it. And then finally... The Bible said, don't judge, or you will be judged. Right? If you want mercy for yourself, you've got to show mercy to other people. And you've got to sow leniency with other people. 
Did you know that judging so many times is misunderstood? Did you know so many times what people call just sharing their opinion is actually judging? That's right. So many times you should have no opinion. I mean, I've told people many times, they ask me, what do you think about so-and-so? And I said, well, I don't, I don't have any thoughts about it. All I'm sure you do, Brother Keith. I want to know what you think. No, no, look. I refuse to let myself think about it because it's none of my business. I'm not their judge. And I like staying healthy. I enjoy feeling good. Can you say amen? Now like we've already said, the best way to stay out of condemnation is just obey God, right? But then what if you have missed it? Now what do you do? How many know 1 John 1, 9? <laughs> if you'll confess that sin before the Lord. Now listen, how many know what confess means? It doesn't mean come and say, well, you know, Lord, I, I guess if I did anything wrong, really it was so-and-so's fault, you know. But no, 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 no. You say, Lord, I acknowledge I did it. It's wrong. No excuse. I ask you to forgive me. Now that's confession. That's acknowledgement. And if you do it, what did he say he would do? He would forgive you and he would cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But see, that's not the end of it. See, you got to believe that and you got to forgive yourself and you got to forget about it. So a lot of times forgiving yourself is one of the toughest things. But you know it's just as wrong to hold a grudge against yourself as it is somebody else because God told you to forgive. And He didn't say forgive everybody except yourself. Is that right? I mean, there's some people, man, they preach hard and heavy on don't hold a grudge, don't you harbor in that nasty unforgiveness, and they've been holding a grudge against their self for 20 years. Hypocrites they are. It's just as wrong to hold a grudge against yourself and to refuse to forgive yourself as it is anybody else because God told us to forgive everybody. To forgive just like He forgives. Is that right? Why don't you stand up with me? I want us to pray something right now. And I want us to do some things right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Sometimes I've had people say, yeah, but Brother Keith, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. And I immediately tell them, yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. I don't care what you've done. The blood of Jesus is more powerful. And His righteousness is more powerful than that condemnation. And the life in that blood is more powerful than the death in that sin. And if you can have faith enough to receive it and humble yourself enough to repent if you need to, then you can lose that sin consciousness. While you're standing, I want to read this verse to you and then we're going to pray this prayer. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter, it's talking about how that they used to offer animal sacrifices. And, and chapter 10 says that if the worshipers had been purged from their sin, there would have been no more conscience of sin. But see, they weren't purged by those animal offerings. It would just cover it for another year. 
And then every time they came around, they remembered and the consciousness of sin was still with them because animal blood couldn't do it. But the Bible also says concerning Jesus, let me read this to you. It says, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. But then Jesus came and said, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it's written to do thy will, O God. And verse 10, it says, By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. By one offering he's perfected forever them that are sanctified. And he said, the Holy Ghost said that after those days this is a covenant that I'll make with them. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. And having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our faith without wavering, for He's faithful that promised. Hallelujah! All the hours you could spend on a psychiatrist or psychologist's couch cannot cleanse you of a guilty conscience. But the blood of Jesus can. I said the blood of Jesus can. And if He can forgive you, you better forgive you. And you're not going to please Him by beating yourself over the head for another several days about it. He wants you to utilize this day and serve Him. And the only way you can serve Him properly is with boldness and confidence and faith. And the only way you can have that is to kick condemnation out the door. But now if you're smart, in days to come you'll obey Him. And not have to deal with any of this and go through all this again. I want you to close your eyes. Lift your heart up to the Lord. Pray this prayer out loud with me. Father God, I thank You that You've made provision for every one of us. The blood of Jesus has been shed. That blood is mighty. That blood is powerful. That blood can cleanse and wash away sin and condemnation and unrighteousness. Father, forgive me for disobedience. Forgive me for stubbornness, hard-headedness, rebellion. Forgive me, Lord. I don't make any excuses. I confess my sin before You. Have mercy on me, Lord. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me, me. and I'll be clean. clean. I believe I receive receive. cleansing, Cleansing. washing. Washing. You're the glory glory. and the lifter lifter of my head. head. I'll not hang my head head. in shame. shame. I'll lift my head head. because I'm clean. I plead innocent. I'm made righteous. I'm made worthy by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. I hold no grudges against any man or any woman. I forgive 
any of all sin against me, nor do I hold a grudge against myself. Self, I forgive you. I release you. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.